Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Welcome to Testimony, an encouraging look at how God works in people's lives. So I'm very pleased to have Jane Biggett with me today, and she's going to share her testimony. How are you, Jane? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me, Dan. That's a pleasure. First question I ask everybody, explain what your childhood was like and the home life that you grew up in. So for anyone that doesn't know me, I live in Motherwell was brought up in Motherwell and still live in Motherwell. I am the eldest of four children. My parents' names are David and Laura. Some people actually know my mum more than my dad. Her name was Laura Macaulay. So for anyone that's quite local, they seem to know her dad quite well. He was a builder, so he built actually quite a lot of halls. That's his claim to fame, okay. actually. I had a very happy childhood. As I said, the eldest of four children. I've got two brothers who are younger than me and a younger sister. You have a large family. What role did Christianity have within that family unit? I would have been taken along to Motherwell Ebenezer, formerly, I think it would have been called Ebenezer Hall. And Motherwell, that's where my parents became members when they got married. And that would have been five years before I was born. I went to Sunday school there, went to all the clubs there, grew up listening to the Word of God being taught, both the Word of God being taught at church and um, in the home as well. It was a big focus in our house. My claim to fame as a child was when I was three at a church weekend, I was able to say the books of the Bible. So any young parents out there get teaching those young moldable brains because yeah, I remember that from being three. I can't actually pinpoint a time that I would have, in brackets, got saved. I actually do vividly remember a mum at church arriving one Sunday saying, oh, their child got saved last night. And I remember thinking, my mum's never come to church and gone about the coffee break saying that Jane got saved. So I went home and talked to my parents about it. And I would say that actually I was saved for that that would have been around the age of nine I like to see it more as a journey and a continuation to the end rather than a pinpoint point of salvation that would be kind of my story lots of the people Ebenezer still come to me and laugh they say you were the one child that was everything I was desperate to be at all the ministry meetings and the prayer meetings and they remember me fondly coming with my mum and my dad and my wee notebook and writing all my notes from a young age so I was always keen to learn and grow. As a youngish teenager and we moved as a family to what now is the church that I'm a member of called Liberty Community Church in Bells Hill. It was a smaller church and probably my parents felt that their giftings could be used 
probably more widely there, there would be a lot of gifting in Ebenezer. So we went there as a family. I was probably about 13-ish at that time. A few years later, I was baptised and then I became a member a few years after that. And I'm still there serving to this day. So yeah, that's probably my childhood. I think the next important question to ask is, can you, starting at Genesis, tell us all of the books of the Bible? I can, but that would take up probably about five minutes of the podcast. (laughs) As long as it's a skill you've retained, that's good. Yeah, a skill I've retained and made sure that all the siblings following on can also do the same. So, yeah, I always said that I'm not a musical person. Do not get me to sing. I love hymns, but don't get me to sing. So that's about the only thing that would be my party piece, really, because I can't really play an instrument either. So at parties, you just read the books of the Bible? Yeah, yeah, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Moving forward, you've become a Christian. You're a member of uh, Liberty Community Church. How did you go about choosing a career when you finished education? So I'm a nurse at the moment. I work part-time as a district nurse and then part-time as a... It's got a fancy title, it's not that fancy. A clinical nurse specialist in palliative care. So that's quite a recent thing. I'd love for that to become my full-time job. So I'm kind of juggling both at the moment, which is exciting, but brings its own challenges equally. So as I said, I was the child who liked being at everything and learning and absorbing all the knowledge. So I was probably a wee bit of a geek at school. I loved science and I always thought I would go into a career regarding science. Chemical engineering was kind of on my radar, pushed maybe a wee bit from school. They thought that it would be something that I'd be quite good at, maybe a career that there's positive um, discrimination for women, that women could progress quite um, far because it's a um, male-dominated profession, maybe we would say. I got to about to submit my UKS form and went, oh, that means I'm going to be sitting behind a desk for the rest of my life. I then thought, what would be something that I would like to do and also be good at? I like people. I like talking. I like, I've always said, I don't know, but it's been the eldest of four, probably quite a mothering type nature. My sister always laughs and says that I don't need to take her hands crossing the road anymore. (laughs) She's 17 next week. So, yeah, I decided to apply for nursing. And that's what I then did for four years. I'm five years Again, I've had an extra half-day annual leave this year because I'm now five years in the (laughs) NHS. So, yeah, happy pandemic, COVID, you know. (laughs) But am I right in thinking that you have an example in your grandmother? Yeah, so there's quite a lot of medical people in my family, my... Yeah, my nana, which I'm very close to. She actually lives with us now, so we, oh, nice. she likes to te- she likes to tell me all about nursing and back then, like it's nothing like it was now. It's nursing in the fifties. It's not much the same. But um, I've got an uncle who's a doctor, cousins who are doctors, cousins who are nurses. Not either of my parents, but within the extended family, there's quite a lot of medical people, shall we say. So that probably did have some impact on my decision and actually I'm not sure you know this I was in and out hospital a bit as a child I have a 
heart condition. Okay. So therefore, I like it wasn't like it's not very serious. It's just a an arrhythmia issue, and I had a few procedures. So I don't know if that impacted maybe a little on the decision as well. And I was just not quite clever enough to be a doctor. <laughs> The nursing profession always like to say they're not second-class doctors. We're a profession in our own right. <laughs> Being in a ward and observing the nurses possibly appealed to you? Yeah, I probably know what they were doing, but yeah. very quickly going into nursing, I realised what type of nursing I want to, to go into, and it's the type of nursing that I'm in at the moment, caring for people in their own environments. I think that's where people flourish the best and supporting people to remain at home for as long as possible. That's not just elderly people, lots of young people as well, lots of tragic situations, but making people have the best life they can at home. So I enjoyed it. With regards to your new role in the palliative care, how do you find coping with the obvious end result of that? Yeah, the obvious, yeah. Um, so actually my role in district, that is a large role of the district nurse, anyone who's out there who's a district nurse will know lots of our job is caring for people at the end of life. That's always been a part of my role, but I've always seen it as a unique opportunity. As a Christian, I can't share directly my faith, but I think lots of things come across very indirectly, often as a Christian, or I've had opportunities when patients talk about faith to share with them in that situation. And I think if you're not a nurse in that field, you could think that it's quite heavy regarding palliative. Now, don't get me wrong, some days or some weeks are really heavy if you've built up really close relationships with people and they pass, sadly pass away. But equally, you knowing that you've given of yourself to make their life as best as possible yeah. for as long as possible. So that's what we often say. That's the saying through the hospice. It's not... We are not here to be Dr. Death. We are here to make you live as full a life as possible, but as long a life as possible. It can be hard some days, but nothing that I could run won't sort out, <laughs> for me anyway. <laughs> you also have a captive audience to be able to go into their home and say, right, just sit down. I'm just going to tell you something. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People would love that. Yeah, they probably would. Yeah, they'll be listening for the mistakes to correct you. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Ah, there's two chronicles. <laughs> so, Jane, you weren't even finished university before that medical knowledge was going to be required in your own personal life. What is it that happened? I had finished uni one week. The last trimester of uni was quite difficult. I was on my management placement which is like you get you have to be signed off by a supervisor who says that you're fit to be on the nursing register. And I did the four-year course to become a nurse, so I had a dissertation to do as well, which I actually wrote on palliative care. I play a lot of netball. It's not probably come out yet in what we've talked about, but like sport is a big part of my life and my family's life as a whole. And I was at netball one Wednesday night, like it always would be on a Wednesday night, and the gym hall lights felt as if they were flickering. I probably shouldn't have driven home. I just thought that I was really tired. I'd like my body was like crashed because there had been so much happening in life up until this point. I then woke up the next morning with complete double vision. 
I even say it was at the time where the if anyone's near Glasgow, the M seventy four was undergoing all its roadworks and how I describe it as the cones were even all merging into each other, it was actually quite scary. I went to the GP as any good person does when something like this happens and they thought that I had something called labyrinthitis, like dizzy kind of spells. I had several different medications. They tried for that, but I did, again, what I do, take matters into my own hands. And I went to the optician, so I actually say she was amazing. She said it's the most memorable day of her career to date, so I always have my wee yearly check-up and she always says that. What happened that, that made it so memorable? Well, so because I had this double vision that now had been for close to three weeks, it wasn't going away with any medications. There had to be some other cause. She did all the tests that she should, and she was quite alarmed at the results. So she sent me straight up to the ophthalmology department at one of the Lanarkshire hospitals. I had lots of tests that day, and I was due actually to go to a big church day out, for anyone that's heard of that, a music festival down south with a group of friends. In true Jane fashion, I was organising all the food for about 15 people. Motherly. So I was more... Yeah, 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 yeah. They all they said they always knew there was going to be plenty when I was doing it. So I was more concerned about getting to Asda for the square sausage because once you get past the border, there's no square sausage. <laughs> My phone was then running out of charge when I was up at the hospital and they announced, this was two days before we were due to leave, and they announced that they were wanting to keep me in and they wanted to do an MRI. Well, well, Jane wasn't for having it. I'd just finished uni. This was kind of as much as an end of uni thing that I was going to be having. They said that it was over a holiday weekend, so they couldn't promise that I would actually get the MRI and they couldn't promise that I'd even see a neurologist. Now, this is when too much knowledge is sometimes not great. I kind of knew what the diagnosis that I was going to get. I didn't get it at that point in time. They did make a suggestion, but nobody was willing to say that it wasn't something else either. But my mum, so this is when it comes that I have a condition called multiple sclerosis. My mum actually has this condition as well. So I self-discharged. Nobody, it's a disclaimer out there, do not do that. Do not self-discharge yourself from hospital. I signed the disclaimer. Um, any of my friends that remember, yeah, big church was interesting that year, like tripping over temp pegs and they had to like be my minder as such, make sure I got to the toilet and didn't skip the queue because I couldn't really see what was going on. But I just wanted to feel normal, although my my body was normal, but my eyes weren't normal. I was then actually due a few weeks later to have a trip with my mum and my brother for a week to Tenerife, and my GP wouldn't clear me to fly. I saw a specialist that my parents paid for because the NHS was going to be 12 weeks to see a neurologist, and thankfully that neurologist cleared me to fly, said pretty much that MS was on the cards but I would get an MRI when I came back and he managed to get everything else put back through the NHS which was great. I had an MRI and the day after my 22nd birthday on the 22nd of June I went to receive the results of that at the Queen Elizabeth and 
I vowed I would never break bad news the way that that doctor broke bad news. Just turned the computer screen around and he said, you'll see that mark on your brain there, there, there and there. You have MS. Now, although I kind of knew, I was glad anything else was ruled out. But although I kind of knew, it still hit me that and he didn't really offer much sympathy. And as a 22-year-old kind of sobbing in his consultation room, that was how I received this diagnosis that I had MS. He would just need to leave the double vision to go away itself, which by this point I'd had at least about seven or eight weeks, which was hard. You forget how much of your life you rely on for your eyes, whether that's even something simple as reading your Bible or reading a book, or making sure you manage the lip in the bath into the shower, or going a walk and crossing the road. I'll never forget some instances, and that was which was more debilitating. Actually, was not being not the actual diagnosis at that point was actually that how were they going to fix my eyes? Yeah. So having your medical knowledge, did that help, or was that something that you wish you didn't know? I'm probably one of these really naive people. So I've chosen, I deliberately have chosen not to research to the deep, dark depths of MS. Um, I obviously know more than your average person with MS because I have a large percentage of my patients have MS or other conditions, neurological conditions in general. But I felt that maybe on this one, at least initially, that I should be the patient. But obviously, my mum having MS, I've had some knowledge around that, but no two people are the same. So I just had some knowledge around how it affected her. But sorry, I think I forgot to say the reason that I had some inkling that it might have been MS was that I'd had some issues with nerve pain in my hand. I'd been seeing a physio for it. Everybody wants to maybe sometimes see things in isolation and they maybe thought I was a bit paranoid because my mum had MS and maybe that my mum was a bit paranoid because she had MS. But there's not actually that much of an increased chance of me having MS despite my mum having it. It's not a genetic condition. It's got some familial links like other conditions, maybe if heart failure runs in a family yeah, there's just lots of conditions that aren't a specific gene, but you're at increased risk because someone in your family. So they're actually not sure what is the direct cause or link for having MS. But yeah, yeah, that explains that. Okay. And at this point, before we move on to the treatment, at this point in time when you've just had the diagnosis, where were you at spiritually? Was there a clinging to the Lord? Was there uh, an anger built up because of it? I would say that I wasn't angry. I was sad, maybe. I don't think, I think that's a bit of a weak adjective, but I, I definitely wasn't angry. I know that we're, as Christians, we're going to have to suffer. And I don't sometimes think that is something that we like to say, that the Christian life isn't going to be a bed of roses and that we are going to undergo attack. Not to say that it was man's fallen, there's sin in the world. Um, so I wasn't angry. I was just actually more 
probably upset that was life going to look like what life had looked like or what I hoped life would look like as a young female of 22. So I wouldn't say that I was angry. On the short term, I, while I still had double vision, I'd agreed through a camp that I helped at at the time to do some sessions with girls. And when you couldn't see, that was quite difficult <laughs> to prepare for that. So I never was so thankful for audio Bible, actually. <laughs> so, yeah. It was good to have some things to focus on because it did take my mind off it in regards to I really had to know what I'd previously been taught, what I'd previously learned, what I'd previously read because I actually couldn't read for myself at that point in time. So podcasts and things were great just to be able. And I obviously had a lot of extra time on my hands. One, because I was awaiting to be put on the nursing register, but two, could I really be put on a nursing register really with double vision? I wouldn't be able to operate as a nurse. That I would say that was how I was generally feeling was more, would life look like what I'd hoped? it would look like and even in terms of starting work as a nurse yeah it's hard to find a vein at times without saying two arms yeah yeah (laughs) so how did the treatment move forward so i actually i started my first post so the double vision resolved basically to resolve any ms relapse so that's what they would say that when somebody has a flare-up of MS, it's called a relapse. They use high-dose steroids. Now, if I had a pound for every time somebody said to me, oh, I've been on steroids, you'll be fine. Now, I actually just looked up before um, we came to record this today. So I was on a dose of, you take 500 milligrams of a drug called prednisolone for five days. Now, I was, by day three, I was spaced out. I was actually lots of people can't tolerate them but I managed to tolerate them quite well but I was quite floored the purpose is to try and specifically target the inflammation in your brain because that's what MS is there's a thing called myelin in your brain and that is what is affected in your brain or as well some people in their spinal cord I just started my first post in November then after that this had then resolved the double vision so I had double vision for about 12 weeks in total at that point they're then now at the moment they're very keen to get people on what they call a disease modifying drug the first line is a tablet form which actually is quite a good they call efficacy rate of preventing relapses which was a drug called Tecfidera but unfortunately it didn't really agree with my body and I was having lots of going bright red in patients' houses, shall we say. I lost a lot of weight, which I was quite happy about, to be honest. What, 22-year-old isn't happy that they're nice and thin? Normally, for what metformin, it's for diabetes because it helps them lose weight. But yeah, I think it's probably more expensive than metformin. So I was transferred over to an injection. And I had to inject myself once a week. That that was fine. I'm a nurse. That was like no problem to me. But the only risk was that the injections had a lower efficacy rate. But I had to try that before we tried anything else at that point in time. The one thing about that was I used to feel as if I had a flu for 24 hours after um, I had it, which was a wee bit 
not like trying to have to function while you were feeling that you had the flu wasn't great but yeah that was that was that and I had got back to playing netball a little I play in a local ladies team so I'd got back to that and then I was away watching one of the other teams play as I would some nights and it was, in, it was actually in at Glasgow Cali Uni and I came home. I, I like to be organised and I set out my wee uniform every night before I go to work. And I woke up during the night, which was quite unlike me at that point in time. And I felt like I was having a stroke. It was quite traumatic, if I'm honest. I had a complete paralysis down half side of my face and I felt that my head was going to explode. So I went to my parents' bedroom as down the stairs and I woke them up and I think I'm kind of been known for being a bit accident prone in my life. I'm tall and I'm a bit clumsy and they, but they knew and they, like I could probably be a bit of a hypochondriac. They'd probably say that. I'd say that I'm not. But um they they then knew it was kinda of serious with how much pain I was in and it was the middle of the night. That is how the, my treatment kind of initially transpired. Long story short, I was at the local hospital. And they thought that I was having a... They checked that it wasn't a bleed on the brain, which it wasn't. So it wasn't... They ruled out that I'd had a stroke or anything. They thought that it was like a severe migraine. At that point in time in life, I hadn't ever had a migraine, just headaches. And I was sick all over accident and emergency. Oh dear. I was like, no, you did not want to be on duty cleaning up that night. It was then, I then got in contact with my neurologist, said that this had happened, said to continue on the injections until we decided on our next treatment, which would be decided after I had an MRI scan. And the MRI sadly showed that I had significantly more we call it plaques, so it's where there's plaques of disease. So I had significantly more plaques and they were significantly more kind of dense and not yeah, great. So he said that I required a second line treatment. I had to pick between two. One was an, an infusion every month for the rest of my life or one was the treatment that I opted for, which I would have had to have anyway if the infusion didn't work. So I decided why don't we hit this on the head and I went for the more severe option which is actually immunotherapy treatment some people call it chemo but it's actually immunotherapy and it's used for um, it was found out that it was good for MS when it's used for leukemia so it's a drug that's this is like a secondary use of the drug so yeah I'm glad you pronounced that word because I had it written down. I couldn't think how to say it. Well, the actual treatment is called alentuzumab or Limchada for anybody that. I definitely wasn't know. saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get. I still get the vowels all mixed up. There's that many in the name. I get them all mixed up. So my understanding is that during this treatment, it really impacted your immune system. Yeah. So what was it like, basically, trying to solve one problem? but ultimately increasing your chances of being impacted by something else? Yeah, so all through this, like my diagnosis, I kept actually very well physically. Fortunately, I've never had any physical impact upon my mobility or 
motor skills at all um, as a result of MS. It's actually been mainly either to do with my eyes or um, sensory kind of issues in parts of my face. This treatment, I would then, a few months later, at this point, I then had to be off my work. So in the September, I went into hospital for five days of infusions. I have to say, I thought I was prepared for what was ahead, but I don't really think I was. It was really, it was probably five of the most difficult days, I have to say, of... Yeah, I'll probably say that and then think, oh, was it really? But yeah, I think it was five. It was because it's five extremely difficult consecutive days. And when you're in a room yourself in a hospital ward and your immune system is basically how the drug is is infused for MS with steroids, antivirals, the whole shebang, your immune system's basically stripped out of you in the hope that then your body builds itself in a new immune system and that's then repeated the following year. So basically, I've not got the immune system I was born with, which is actually kind of cool to think of um, like that. So I would have to say I had, in the first time that I had the infusions, I also had some cardiology issues that reared their heads, which was quite scary. My brother came in to visit me and they actually pulled him into a side room and said, oh, don't go in to see your sister. We're potentially rushing her up to ICU because of how she's been reacting. Fortunately, they got cardiology in the phone and it was just neurology overreacting to a cardiology situation. (laughs) As those five days went on, I progressively became weaker and weaker. And by the fifth day, I couldn't really stand, I would say, unaided, or I'm a bit of a, have a bit of an obsession with washing my hair. And I think it, I didn't even wash my hair that day. So that's something. I wash my hair every day. So that was, that was, the treatment was hard. And I couldn't really do much. I had it all planned. I had the DVDs all set up. I had my books all set up. I had the colouring in, Sudoku's. But really, all I could do was I had Spotify on and was just lying there as these drips went on and were taking my immune system out, really. You mentioned earlier that you're a competitive family. (laughs) And so it must have been quite a worry for the family looking on and seeing, you know, this girl who loves netball, loves sport, very, very competitive in all aspects, is very different to how you would normally be. Yeah. So I would say that it probably took about, after that day, it was a long, long haul. It was probably about eight or nine months till I regained any sort of normal for what was maybe normal-ish for me kind of function in life. And then I knew that in four months, three months time, that that was going to have to go through the whole process again. So that, that was hard, you know, I remember... Because my immune system was completely wiped, my white cell count was zero on discharge from hospital, so therefore I was very susceptible to infection, etc. So I wasn't allowed to meet really anyone for a month. But I remember my dad just to take me out in my nana's wheelchair for walks for fresh air. And looking back, it was really lovely that even that me and him got to spend that time together. And I even have one fond memory that we met. Jehovah Witnesses down the park and they they couldn't understand how I was so I was so positive talking about Jesus and what he'd done for me 
despite my dad had me down the park in a wheelchair. So that opened, actually, I remember that conversation quite vividly about opening up that opera, you know. So there was, even in the early stages, there was small blessings to be had. And even in terms of my vision had completely, was completely normal. And so for all the hours I could spend in the house, I was able to manage my time and reading and listening to things and yeah honing my baking skills and other things in life that I enjoyed out with sport but it was hard that every Wednesday night I knew that my netball friends were over in Coatbridge near me training and then I would sometimes once I was back driving go and see them play and then I actually had to stop because it was hard because I could see someone was taking my position and they were playing well and I was like there's no chance I'm getting back in the team so (laughs) um yeah but they, they even were great and even through all that time I even had new friendships formed which one of my best friends today came into my life at that point so and I don't actually know if she would have. Otherwise, we we met. For she she reached out and said, "Would you like to meet for a coffee?" And we met for a coffee, and I laughed. She'll probably listen to this, and she'll say, um, "I always say I didn't really think we were going to be friends." <laughs> she laughed. She's like, "Jane, only you would say that." She's not as much of a talker as me. So yeah, um, but some yeah. They used to drive me everywhere because driving was quite exhausting. And so just like I had some really nice opportunities to do other things that otherwise I hadn't been doing in life. You befriended a taxi driver? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, she probably was a taxi driver. Yeah, I tried to, yeah, I tried to pair back in coffees. <laughs> so you take me, I'll get the coffee type of thing. So was that alien? Yeah, well, yeah, I wasn't going to name her, no, but yeah, she'll I'll, be embarrassed. She'll, no, she'll be embarrassed that I name her, but yeah. yeah I can chop that, that out, I just, out of curiosity. No, no, you can keep it in, but then it looks as if you're going to chop it out. <laughs> <laughs> so then let's come on to the question that I think you're most ready for, is that how did your experience with the physical and medical side of things, how did that shape your Christian faith? And how has it affected your walk with the Lord? Yeah, yeah, from the more jovial things to the more serious things. I would say that, as I said previously, I wasn't angry at God, but I was probably struggled from the fact that I didn't, and to this day, don't really know anyone of my age who is a Christian who has really undergone something similar or has perhaps some struggles with um, a similar thing. And that, that was challenging because I see I've got people and dear Christian mentors in my church and godly, godly ladies who have undergone things and maybe have health struggles, but they're older and they're not, they are married. I'm not married. They have, they've got, had children. I've not got children yet, you know, so I didn't really know. So I found that, I did find that hard that I didn't feel that I had anyone to talk to that could relate at my age and stage of life and how much that that could um, potentially impact me. But I have to say, especially in my time in the hospital and following on from that as well, like 
I haven't felt as close to the Lord as I did then because I couldn't rely on my own physical strength because there wasn't any. Yeah, I might even get emotional at saying it. I was getting emotional during the week thinking back about it and just even how far the Lord's brought me to this day. But I would say that it's just brought me closer to the Lord in a, in a way that I have to rely on him, not just and for physical strength as well at times. You know, sometimes you really, you're maybe a lead help lead a ladies bible study at church and maybe one night I come in from work and I'm feeling particularly fatigued and maybe I could see it far enough going to the study and I remained leading but I have to then rely on the Lord's strength to um, enable me to do that so I would say that it's brought a nearness of me to the Lord that I'm not sure I otherwise would have had if life had been smooth and plain sailing and I like to I've shared my story at a few ladies meetings in the past and I like to always say that something that my papa had had a stroke when he was just 60 and he always said that it was the Lord getting the dross out of his life and I like to see it that way as well that perhaps this was the Lord trying to get the dross out of my life and perhaps this is the way that my faith can be shared in its own unique and personal way and that I can bear ultimately the small cross that I have to bear in life to further the gospel and to glorify God and my papa used to say as well my mum tells me that turning your disappointments into his appointments so I like to see it as my appointment and this is what that the Lord has given me in order to be able to share with others and I would say it has opened up opportunities both at ladies meetings where there's Christians and non-Christians presence and I've written art and I wrote an article for the MS Trust which is a charity that does lots of research into MS and when people are maybe um, deciding on treatments and I blog I used to blog more through so anybody's welcome to read that I blogged through my treatment and I've written, when I had more time, I wrote some blog posts about what the Lord was doing and what I felt he was saying to me through his word. And I was able to direct people from the MS Trust to there's people all over the world that read that who might not otherwise hear anything of the gospel that even if something that I wrote on there was able to impact them in a small way, that's how I like to say that it's shaped and formed and I hope that as I have continued in strength, I don't forget all that the Lord has blessed me with um, and that I do continue to walk in his strength day by day and not in my own strength now that I have it, that I don't forget that I need to walk in his strength. So if anyone wanted to read your blog, what is the name of it? Um, So I talked about how the my incidents with my MS have come through my eyes, so it's called my eye is sore today. So my eye is sore today, and that will take you. I think actually maybe if you take type my name Jane Bigger, it's not a common name that it might take you to it as well. So yeah, my eye is sore today. That's where you'll find that. Okay, and you referenced the Bible study you tub to lead. Yeah, you're very busy with your nursing work. You were saying you've got 
two jobs now that you're you're working through, and okay. you've, you've taken on this additional you know load. Uh, you're very yeah. active in the church. You've got a real heart for people. Is that has that come out of your experience? Is there re- is that the driving force behind it? Um, I would say it's partly from my experience, but also partly from my I would say my church life experience. Even from a young age, I've got a real passion for women's work in the church and discipleship of women. Yeah. Yeah, Christians, non-Christians, but a real passion for one-to-one kind of discipleship and also increasing women's biblical literacy. I think that it's been a bit of a issue or a problem. I, would, I don't know if that's the right word, but increasing, often think that maybe it was men that went to ministry meetings and things and that maybe the women, they don't really have an excuse. So, yeah, I've got a real heart for increasing women's biblical knowledge as well and I would say that I've got several friends in the same boat and we're often discussing about how we how we can do that in our different different church contexts that we're in and my heart for women has come out from that so pre-covid at church we did some women's kind of community events that were both Christian non-Christian women came which were um, great and during COVID um, it's, I thought that it was maybe an opportunity that lots of women in the church would have some spare time some people are retired they have a lot more time <laughs> um, so but they're complaining that the bible studies are a bit hardcore so uh, yeah so <laughs> we're, we're currently studying about um, Je- Je- seeing Jesus and Genesis so okay. yeah you just name the books of the bible <laughs> well I hope I hope we do something deeper than that. So, but now we're in tier four. We can't, so um, because obviously we were allowed to meet in tier three. That's where I live. We're in tier we're in tier three. We're now going into tier four, and um, we would still be able to meet twenty of us. But given where my church is, it's on the kind of we. It's in North Lanarkshire, but it's just kind of lots of people maybe live in South. So half the ladies that come, so we felt we're we're going to take that to Zoom. So back to the Zoom we go. <laughs> back, back to the faithful Zoom. Yeah, back to the faithful Zoom. Have you a Bible verse which has particularly impacted your life or been a help during the difficult times? Yeah, actually, this is the bit that I've actually written the most. I mean, I know it's down, I've written me notes. So I'm going to, probably the verse that, has been with me the most um was or is still to this day is second corinthians 4 and 17 so we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So I would say that's been my my verse. And I also, I love songs and hymns. And I'm often reflected back to my time in the hospital where I think the nurses probably thought I was loopy because um, I just had hymns on repeat and just some words that kind of held me fast where 
that be still my soul. Jesus, keep me near the cross. All the way my Saviour leads me. I need thee, oh I need thee. It's so sweet to trust in Jesus. And there was a Natalie Grant um, song that came out just at the time that says about help me want the healer more than the healing. Help me want the saviour more than the saving. So it was more about my relationship with Jesus than physically healing me. Yeah. My neighbour sounds like he's smashing through the wall. That was all I just... <laughs> I was wondering what the banger was. I think it's him kicking off of the kids. Oh, dear. <laughs> so how are things just now? I'm nursing in a global pandemic, so that has brought its challenges. I've been in and out the shielding category. Nobody's sure whether it was shield, whether it was not. Um, but I decided not to shield... I felt that my white cell count is now just within normal range, which is good. And also, initially, if you to shield, you can go out your house. So I thought with living under this roof at that point in time, I think there was eight of us. Yeah, there was eight of us. My brother got married during COVID. So yeah, at that point in time, his his fiance was living with us as well. So um, we don't live in that big a house. And my nana had just come in, so and I like to run uh, a lot. So, yeah, Shava's another place you can find me. Um, often. Daily. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no, not daily. But and I like to, I like to rub it into my friends that maybe I can um, tan them at a five k now. So yeah, I like to rub it in that maybe their friends who's got MS can beat them, <laughs> and that's they don't take that well. Life is looking just like probably. Your average twenty-seven-year-old now busy with nursing, busy with church and um, ministry work, um, and busy exercising since I can't netball. So yeah, life is yeah as good as it gets during a pandemic. I think. Great. Well, thank you very much for sharing your testimony, Jane. Thanks for having me, Dan. Thank you for listening to Testimony. If you have any suggestions as to who would make a good interview, then please get in touch at testimonypodcast at outlook.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.